Please stand as we will now hear from God's word from 2 Peter chapter 3. God's holy word. 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'll be starting in verse 14, going to verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. This is God's word. Hear your full with your full attention. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish at, and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our brother, uh, beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which are the ignorant and unstable, twist their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Martin Luther is well known for his 95 theses. He nailed them upon the Wittenberg door, and then the Reformation happened. We all know this, starting in the 1500s. However, even though they are actually fairly short, very few have read them, it seems like, in the Reformed world, which is very strange. But although some of them are very technical and have to do with Roman Catholic religion of that time and are not very helpful to us, or at least understandable to us now, the first and the one who sets the tone for the rest of them is really quite helpful. The first of the 95 is him calling the whole of life, not just one act before a priest, the life of repentance. He calls the Christian life a continual life of repentance. And as we come into our passage, we find repentance once again being part of it. Truly, in Martin Luther's time, he sought peace, and he sought it through the wrong means, but repentance was still part of his seeking. So, as we get into our passage, let us go over what we have seen before. As we said before, we are waiters. We are people who wait, those who wait, and we wait for that great day of the Lord to appear so that we do not create our own justification on that day of judgment. No, we merely wait for, as we've seen before, God to renounce to the world what he has already done in his book of life, which is cross out every one of our guilty sins, every debt against him, so that we stand before him pardoned of all our sins and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, so that we can be part of this kingdom of righteousness. We must have the righteousness of Christ. So we have all seen in Second Peter 3, put very, very shortly. But this passage brings up a different problem that we have not dealt with before. Is Peter saying something different than this? That in order to be found before God on that day, we must be diligent to erase in ourselves our sin or endeavor to create peace between God and man. You see this perhaps, some would say, in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent, be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. 
be diligent, to be found at peace. What does it mean to be found without blemish or spot? And what does it mean to be found at peace with God? And to be found, so definitely, on that last day when he will come like a thief in the night. First, to answer this question, we must understand who he is talking to. We must realize who Peter is talking to, and that is he's talking to Christians here. So he says in verse 14, using beloved here, which is obviously for the people of faith. Not only because of that one word, I should say as well, but because he describes them as those who wait. The first word of of eager anticipation. The word is actually the same word used that is translated in verse 12. And the the second word here in verse 12 we see again. Verse 12 and verse 14 use the same two words, one after the other. That is, a repeat, unfortunately translated in this passage as be diligent. The word is actually to hasten. It certainly includes the meaning of diligence, but is actually quite a bit more pictorial than that bare word would suggest. And although waiting for the kingdom of righteousness, we hasten to holiness. We know this as we were going over in verse 12. That is the character of the Christian. He is always hastening. It is a picture of a person who is never at his ease. Like a marathon runner, he is always striving toward the goal. Striving toward the goal of the upward call of God. As Peter has been at constant pains to show in this last chapter of his last epistle, that although Christians indeed wait for this great day of the Lord, the day of judgment, our actions have meaning in the plan of God. Not only are we to be doing works of holiness, as he says in verses 11 through 12, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the, of the Lord, as we saw? But now, Peter in these verses connects not only our action, our holiness, to, but he also connects these verses to our apparent non-action, our waiting with the hastening of the day of the Lord. As he says here, he speaks of those who hasten the day both in action and non-action. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be hastening to be found by him without blemish or spot and at peace. That is, while verses 11 through 12 speak of our actions toward holiness as hastening the day of God, verses 14 through 15 speak of our hastening of the day of God by a type of non-action, that is, by avoiding by moving away from evil. In theological terms, both are talking about sanctification, but verses 11 through 12, speaking of holiness, about hastening the day through holiness, is about vivification, living and continuing in the life that we have in our new nature. Whereas in in this passage, in verse 14, we have hastening the day of God, through our actions of mortification, that is, killing and continuing to kill the sin which clings so closely. The one cannot be without the other. We must hasten toward both holiness and cleanliness. Holiness, that is, vivification, and mortification, that is, killing sin. Peter is telling us that holiness and spotliness, or rather spotlessness, are connected. We hasten to be both holy and spotless in the Christian life. In Scripture, these two are always connected as well. So Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy, 
As for you, O man of God, flee these evil things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach till the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Flee and keep the commandment. That is 1 Timothy 6. We vivify and we mortify. Nothing less will do in this righteousness of our life. That is, we pursue, in one word, entire righteousness. We are not satisfied with doing the good that we did not do before we were changed and continuing to do the evil. No, we mortify the evil things that cling to us, which we no longer have or which rather has no longer power over us. We do this, of course, in the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit within us will lead us to both. As Paul says in Romans 12, 9, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We ought not simply to hate sin, but we ought also to love and cling to what is good. Let us be found holy and found spotless on that great day. Yes, as Peter says in verses 15, or rather just verse 15 of chapter 3, count the patience, that is the long-suffering of our Lord, as salvation. These are honestly some of the most encouraging words in all of Scripture, brothers and sisters, at least for me. What does this mean? It means that God is not waiting for you to screw up, and he is not waiting for you to be a perfect Christian before he returns. God's patience towards us is a loving patience. Sometimes I imagine we wish we would have died early on in our conversion, where there was perhaps some ease in our confession. God gives some hardship in our life, and we wonder why. Well, here is your answer, Christian. It is for your salvation. We do not take his long-suffering as God's way of allowing us enough time to come to destruction. No, God is patient with us, And with those we love, God shows pity for us, his people, as he is speaking to his people here in our sin. It will not give us over to our sins. You need not be afraid that God has abandoned us. God is patient toward us, and he walks us through our actions. He works through our works for our salvation and the salvation of the entire world. And salvation, especially as we see in this passage, From our sin, God is patient toward us. This is, in fact, even what Paul has said. And Peter points this out explicitly in verses 15 and 16. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. We see this topic especially treated, and of course, He says, in all his letters as well, but especially in Romans 2, this very same topic that Paul is dealing with is this topic that Peter is dealing with. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume, or do you presume, on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? That word patience is the same word that Peter uses. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Here we are again in repentance, as he, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, speaks of repentance. But because of your hardened and penitent hearts, and this is new information, 
that, that Paul brings, but Peter does not speak of. But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See how similar these passages are to one another. Even by Peter's own words here, they interpret one another. They have to do with the permission of God in these days, what Peter calls patience. Paul calls here patience, forbearance, and kindness. The question set before Peter and Paul is the same as we get closer and closer to understanding the question of peace in our own time. Does God's patience mean that we can do whatever we want? Second Peter was all about this. Peter has already answer, answered this extensively with no in all of Second Peter, and especially in Second Peter 3.9. God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Paul answers the same question with almost the exact same answer. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And why is it meant to lead us to repentance? Paul answers just as Peter answers. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath. This was a short way of saying everything he said in 2 Peter chapter 2 against those who are libertines, those who claim to have Christ as their Savior but not as their Lord. We are holy because God rewards each action as it ought to be rewarded on the day of Christ's return. Evil with wrath, good with blessing. Yes, just as Peter says, this kingdom will be and is now a kingdom of righteousness. Peter and Paul agree there is no excuse for sin in this kingdom. Therefore, some of, some of this may surprise us. Some of what he is about to say might surprise us, especially for Christians, especially these words. Because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath. And verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be hastening to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's remind ourselves, he's speaking to Christians Paul and Peter, can there be wrath stored up for Christians on that day of wrath? Can there be anything but peace between Christians and God on that day of wrath? Are Peter and Paul saying with these words that our peace with God, our very justification, which is the pardoning of all of our sins and the clothing us in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, is that justification dependent upon our actions of mortification and vivification in this life. Is that what he's saying here? Is that what Peter and Paul are saying? Another way of saying this is, are we presently at peace with God, or are we at peace with God only possibly in the future? Are we at peace with God, or could we be at peace with God? Can we lose our peace with God while we are here on this earth, so that in order to have peace with him, we must strive with all our might in order to get it? This is actually a very helpful passage for us in this case because it presents peace to us in at least two lights. First, peace is confidence with God on the day of judgment. Our confidence in God. It's for this reason that we see the ESV translators use the word diligence instead of the literal word to hasten. 
This passage harkens back all the way to chapter 1 in 2 Peter, where Peter was so earnestly pushing us Christians to live out our Christian profession that we might have assurance, that we might have confidence in the love of God. Peter says, 2 Peter 1, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed. Again, having great bearing on our own passage, was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be diligent to confirm what is true about you, because, to repeat what we said beforehand, our diligent holiness and mortification will give us assurance of our election. Our mental assurance, our psychological assurance of our peace with God. They do not establish those works of holiness and mortification, do not establish our calling and election, which only God can do, obviously, because they are outside time. See how he says we have been cleansed of our former sins. This passage is about our peace with God in our hearts, our confidence, our confirmation of what is already true in the book of life. That is, that our lives are in his hands and they are in good hands. That he has already struck out all of our sins, all of our guilt. Our psychological apprehension of what is already true in God. Justification, I might remind you, is a once-for-all act, pardoning every sin, past, present, and future. But we can be assured and confident in our minds in various degrees. This is the type of peace with God that Scripture constantly speaks about. It includes the absence of God's fatherly displeasure. However, I will be going on, on this aspect of peace separately as a second aspect that he is speaking of peace here. Let us be found without spot or blemish and at peace on that great day. And that is, we come before him without his displeasure and the presence of our fatherly love, care, and salvation that he has given us. This is a type of peace which only the Christian can have. That is God's fatherly shining face. Peter has been saying God cares how we live our lives. And we ought to care how we live our lives. God is, in fact, displeased with evil and displeased with our evil actions after we have been saved by Jesus Christ. We are to strive for peace with him. It is not only a psychological thing, but to be found in peace. And for many who continue in unrepentant sin, as these false teachers, as we've seen in 2 Peter 2, were encouraging that they were saved at all is in doubt. But what is the Christian who continues to sin to do? You and I, all of us, sin and continue in sin. What are we to do if God is displeased with sin? Haven't we been pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ so that our sins are no more brought up against him? or against us in the court of law? Does this mean that we do not need to repent if they have all been struck away from the book? How do we understand Peter and Paul when they say the same thing about our actions here and when we're presented before God? That is, our repentance matters. Paul says that we are storing up wrath when we sin without repentance. And Peter says we ought to strive not for wrath, but for peace with God on that last day. 
How is it that we must continue to repent if we are justified and all of our guilt is taken away? That is where the question centers in this passage. How do we have peace with God and then he calls us to repent? If we're pardoned by God, then why continue to repent in this time of God's long-suffering? Hasn't this age of long-suffering been called an age which impels us to repent, both by Peter and by Paul in each of these passages? It is for repentance that we have the long-suffering of the Lord. Repentance for his own people, not just for the world. What is this age of God's long-suffering kindness to lead to? Romans 2.4 Repentance. What is this age of long-suffering kindness to lead to? 2 Peter 3, 9. Repentance. So, to repeat the question, if we're pardoned by God, why ought we to continue to repent in this time of God's long-suffering kindness? Why? Because of Christ. How can this be if our sins are pardoned that we might not be at peace with God on earth? We repent because Christ teaches us to repent, as we will continue on. Sharnock, Stephen Sharnock, a great, wonderful uh, Puritan, had much to say on these things, uh, to bring helpful, helpful background on these things. He says, yes, God is said to cover their sins, to cast them behind his back, yea, to cast them into the depths of the sea, that they may never come into his sight in justification again. And he, as he illustrates our continual relationship in the light of these things, He says, a cross book, that is, a book of debts, will not stand good in law because the crossing of the book, the crossing out of those debts, implies the payment of the debt. Such a debt may perhaps be read, but it cannot be demanded. God may read pardoned sins in the book of his infinite knowledge, but he will never charge them at the legal bar of his justice. That is, God knows that we sin. The pardoning of sin is not the absolute destruction of the sin, as if it never existed and God is ignorant of these things. He knows that we sin. He knows that we sin. It's not meant to say this pardon is when he ignores sin. God knows our sin, and although he has pardoned them like a judge at the court of law, he is still our loving heavenly father, and he is displeased with our sin. Because he cares for us and desires that we might be saved from them even now. Sin, in God's view, in his omniscience, his infinite knowledge, is taken away in its guilt. But God still sees the stain of sin and hates it with his fatherly hatred. God is not ignorant. David, even as, a, as our, us Christians and as a Christian himself, confesses these things, doesn't he? Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David is repenting of his sins as a Christian. He is not asking for pardon for his sins, notice. He does not ask for pardon for his sins. Christians cannot be any more pardoned right now than they were from the day that they believed. But he is asking that he might be washed from these things. He says, as a Christian, renew a right spirit within me. This is a repentance of a Christian in the age of God's long-suffering kindness. God has no pleasure in sin and iniquity. He beholds all sin with wrath. And we must go to him for cleansing from sin and repentance, even if God has destroyed our sentence of eternal wrath against us. 
Yet, brothers and sisters, wrath remains upon sin. As Paul says, we are storing up wrath against us for the day of wrath. With our sin as Christians, and as Peter says, we ought to strive to be at peace with God on the day of wrath. There is peace and there is wrath. Are we at peace with God? Or does he have wrath against us? Be encouraged, though, brothers and sisters, you who repent of your sins to God Most High. God's justification has not faltered because God sees our sins. God's wrath, in a sense, is upon you for your sin and upon me for my sin. But it is a wrath of love. As the Puritan Tuckney says, Christians are not sons of wrath, coming from Ephesians 2, yet we may be sons under wrath. It is a wrath for blessing. It is not a wrath with vengeance. It is a fatherly wrath for our blessing, not a wrath with vengeance. It shows us how badly we get salvation wrong in our own minds, brothers and sisters. What is salvation from? What is salvation from? Is it from the wrath of God? As we see in this passage, it cannot be. Salvation is salvation from sin, which God applies his wrath to. Peter tells us this here in our passage and all over 2 Peter. We, verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Remember, his kind of patience is present now. So we count that present patience as salvation. We count as salvation from sin, the fires of judgment, are already upon the church, as we have said many times. First Peter says this, that the time of judgment has begun with the household of God. Do we desire salvation from sin, brothers and sisters? Do we desire to please our Lord and be at peace with him? Or when we think of the new heavens and new earth, do we envision a place that only has the effects of sin taken away? Do we hate sin or do we hate misery? Yes, hate misery, but hate sin, brothers and sisters, for what it is. As we go to our conclusion, God is at peace with us, and we are found on that day in peace only because of Christ's work. Again, I ask, will we be found in God's displeasure at that day of wrath? Will it be because of our righteousness that we do here on earth that we are judged and found to be in his pleasure, or in his peace, or in his wrath. No. It is because of Christ's righteousness that we will be found in his pleasure. No amount of repentance will make us righteous. Before God, before his legal, and I mean this very specifically, his legal bar, nothing that we do can please him. We must be found in Christ's righteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For no amount of repentance or good works will make us righteous. And yet, brothers and sisters, while we are on this earth, we may please or displease the Lord as a father. And as we hate sin and we love the Lord, so we follow after him in gratitude. The pattern of the Christian life is not to repent and try harder to be saved from sin is repent and have faith in Christ. Repent and unload your sin on Christ. As Paul says in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We may indeed doubt our justification psychologically in our own minds and not have peace. Our sins may even bring about God's displeasure and correction on this earth, but peace is from Christ. If we desire lasting peace, we must not merely repent, but have faith in Christ. Yes, repent, but what's far more important, have faith in Christ. And as we know from the story of Christ, he has not merely left us here to be on our own. His life, his death, his resurrection, yes, all were for our salvation from sin, and yet he ascended into heaven and he has intercession. He intercedes for us with the Father so that even as we continue to displease the Father, he looks upon us in mercy and he points the Father in his wrath towards his own blood so that we have peace with the Father through Christ. Let us not be those libertines of Second Peter 2. Let us not be those people who truly hate God in their sin, but let us love the Lord and live a life of gratitude and look to Christ for our salvation, for all our store, for all our blessing, and wait until that great day where we will see him face to face. Let us go to our great God in prayer. O oh Lord, we are sinners. Lord, we continue to sin. As we have this new nature and we continue to go back to the muck and the mire, as we go back to the, the vomit of our former life, be merciful to us, O oh Lord. Lord, we thank you that as you have given us salvation in Christ, pardon for our sins through faith in Christ, we pray that we would repent of our sin and that we would come to Christ in faith. That our repentance would not be good works for us, Lord, but that they would be works of life. That is, works of communion with you, works of gratitude with you, works of love, Lord. We pray that as we are in your love, and your love cannot be taken away for those who are in Christ Jesus, we pray that we would love you as you love us. Lord, that we would count the, the correction of the Lord as salvation, that we would count your long suffering as a salvation, that we would be found on that great day without blemish or spot and in peace, that we would not only have psychological peace and assurance and certainty, that we would not only be assured of these things and that you would assure us of these things through your Holy Spirit, but Lord, that we would strive in this life to look to Christ for our peace, to look to him and to live a life like him. Lord, we pray that you would indeed come soon, that we would see you as you are. We love you and praise you, O Lord, and ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.